Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision-making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Welcome to episode 293. We got a call a couple days ago saying, hey, George Thorogood's in town. Legendary rock blues musician. He's got the song Bad to the Bone, which you may know, which is right here. Bad to the Bone. They're like, hey. He'd like to come talk to you, do a little interview. And I was like, great. I was a big George Thorogood fan as a kid because I listened to classic rock radio all the time. And so he has this song, Bad of the Bone. He played 50 States in 50 Days. He opened for the Rolling Stones. He had like six, seven big hits. But hang out. We do that. The most recognizable rock songs from the 70s. We'll talk about that. Eddie and I come in and talk about that too. So very classic rock oriented show this week. But we talked to Jake Brennan, host of Disgraceland which is not about classic rock so much, but he does the dark side of musicians. But a lot of that stuff he talks about are a lot of these artists from back in the day. And I even asked him, hey, who's way different than their stage persona? Like, who did we see on TV or do we read about in the books and watch on the internet and go, oh, they were like this, but they were the exact opposite. He talks about that. All that coming up. Glad you guys are here. Here are the five releases that I'm most excited about this week. At number five, it is Sasha Sloan with Sam Hunt. This is a song called When Was It Over? When Was It Over? It sounds like a pretty country-ish song for someone who's put out a bunch of pop stuff. Sasha Sloan. Um, That's at number five. There you go. At number four, Reba has a new song called Somehow You Do. It is for a movie called Four Good Days. It centers on a mother who desperately tries to help her daughter survive a drug addiction. It opens April 30th. Here's a clip of that song, Somehow You Do. Somehow you do. Cause 
At number three this week, Justin Moore has a new album called Straight Out of the Country. Here's the song, the title track called Straight Out of the Country. At number two, Jamison Rogers has a new album called In It for the Money. Here's a new song out called Rollin' Rock, Rollin' Stones. Guy's really good. He has another song called uh, Good Dogs that came out a couple weeks ago. I encourage you guys to check that whole whole EP new album out he has. And then number one, I'm bringing on a special guest to talk about this one. Uh, it's Eddie, who you'll hear from later. Eddie, grab the microphone. Yo. I want to ask you about the number one song we have on the list here. It's from Bobby Bones and the Raging Idiots with John Party. <laughs> yes. I'll play it first. Uh, here is Can't Say That in a Country Song. No, you can't say that in a country song. No, you can't say that. No, you can't say that. No, you can't say that in a country song. You know, Bobby, I'm starting to think you're right. So, Eddie, what was it like today in the studio we were recording this song? Oh, man, it was a beautiful day, actually. And John was there super I remember pulling up to the parking lot, and John was in his pickup truck, and I didn't know it was John. I go, who's that? Dude, just sitting there, and he was just chilling. No cowboy hat, nothing. But he has an old, old pickup truck, and it was John Party. He walks in, and dude, we were just ready to roll. I mean, we were ready to go. John, when he got on that mic, I think I'm just used to you and me being in the studio. It takes a while. And it's like, you know, hey, you can't say that. And then John gets on the mic, and he's like, hey, you can't say that. And I'm like, dang, you gotta turn that down. Sounds so good. He's loud, <laughs> and he's so good. He's so good. That's when you know, like, all right, that's a real artist right there. He did like three takes of singing, and all three were perfect. It took longer with him to do the ad libs. <laughs> yeah, because we're the comedians. Right. We're, we're being funny. He's like, wait, should I, did I do that good? Did I do it again? But it's singing perfect where me, it takes like a hundred sing, hundred times to sing it. And like ad libs, I get the first time. I don't know. You know, you walk into this thing and, and usually there's an engineer who's just doing the board. He's doing all the recording on the, tr- the, the computer or whatever. And he doesn't really know the music. He's just kind of there because he's paid, what, hourly bones? Mm-hmm. And so seeing his response on a comedy song is usually how I gauge it. And he was cracking up. So I'm like, all right, this, this is good then. Yeah, you guys check out Bobby Bones and the Raging Idiots. New song with John Party. Can't say that in a country song. People ask, how do you get an artist on your song? And I, I, I uh, just said, hey, John, will you sing on this song? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, let me hear it. He said, he actually said, yes, let me hear it. Oh, yes, first. Yes. So we agreed first, yes. then said, let me hear it. And then we were going to record it way pre-pandemic because we have a live version of this already mm-hmm. out on the uh, Live in Little Rock record. And he's like, man, we're trying to get that song. And they shut everything down. And finally, when they kind of opened things back up again, we went and recorded it. But even when we were playing that live, you you would even be like, hey, man, who would be a good artist to do this with? And I think immediately we're like, it's John Party. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, I think, without thinking too hard about it, he's the guy that would be perfect for this song. So that's number one. Check that out. Stream it. Like, what, what you should do is stream it when you leave your house and let it keep playing over and over again because nobody's going <laughs> to stream our music. So it's our own little joke toward the music industry. I mean, that's what I do. Yeah. I, I leave it on repeat just in my house. Stream. I add it to your playlists. Uh, more new music. Kip Moore has a new song called Good Life. Eric Church's uh, third album, Heart and Soul, Soul is out. Chris Lane has a new song called Fill Them Boots. Blake Shelton has Bible verses. Brett Young has a new song called Not Yet. Uh, there you go. That's all the music coming out. 
Oh, let's see. Bad Bunny's 2022 tours, the fastest selling tour since 2018. I like Bad Bunny. Like, really, like, he, he's so good. You know anything about him? I saw him at WrestleMania. What is he, Puerto Rican? I don't know. Puerto Rican or something. Uh, he's just so good. Like, I, I I dig his music. Like, not my style ever, but I don't know. And then my, my little foster baby, he loves jamming to it, too. I mean, he's part Puerto Rican, I guess. Demi Lovato apologizes for blasting an L.A. frozen yogurt shop. You see that story? No. What she, she gets say? on her Instagram and she's like, "Why are we shaming diet culture?" And the, and the company comes back and goes, "Hey, we're not. We need non-sugar options for people that have diabetes." Oh, that's legit. Because she went in and she was like, "Why are we making food cold? It shouldn't. We shouldn't have sugar-free. We shouldn't." And the company goes back and goes, "Hey, people need sugar-free options." <laughs> Guys, let people live. <laughs> uh, so I, that was a pretty quick backtrack on her it part. Was pretty quick. Boy, it's just to get on Instagram and have an opinion real quick. Though is always risky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what do you? You should calm down. I have to. I struggle with this go. too. You should calm down and run it by somebody first. And be like, I'm about to do this because I I did that with Caitlyn a couple times. Like I'm about to go on. I'm pissed. Uh-huh. She's like, Ooh, I don't think you should do that. It's like chess. You got to look at your options. If I make this move, what's going to happen? Do I really feel good about this move? And am I ready for the repercussions? And if so, go for it. But I don't think she understood mm. why that they had those other options. And they came out and they were like, Hey, uh, we've thought long and hard yeah, about this. And, and we have a lot of people who. <laughs> Uh, all right, that's it. Enjoyed today's podcast. I know I did, and uh, that's all. Bye, everybody. Oh, 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 check out the Biz Tape podcast. If you like music, it's a new music podcast with two guys named Colin and Joe. It's like the inside of the business part of music. They talk about how much money does DMX's children have to split in the battle ahead. They're also talking about the return of ticket scalpers and how every concert you might want to go to might already be sold out and maybe how you can get around that. So check out the Biz Tape. It's a really good music podcast. The Biz Tape. Thank you. Enjoy the show. All right, 15 songs. We're going to go way back before we were both born to the 1970s. Let's go. But they say you can identify them with just a couple notes. Now, in the last episode, we did this one. Remember that one? Yeah. What was it called again? Paranoid. Paranoid. By Black Sabbath. <laughs> right. I, will, I will remember that now from now on. And then there was this one, which you called Mississippi Mud. <laughs> which I later realized is an ice cream or something, or a cake. <laughs> Some chilies. And Guitar Hero is where you know this from. Of course. I guess I know it from just Cool 95, Classic Rock Station. Yeah, or Arkansas Keith. Yeah, which is where Cool 95 comes from. Yeah. Okay, so let's see how many you can name here. Can you name, in the first few notes, this one? Mmm. That's Cream. Mm-hmm. Okay, Eric same Clapton. Per, same per, yeah, but you still haven't got it right. Same person. Oh, uh, Layla. Do you know the band, though? Okay, it's not Cream. Mm-hmm. Same person. Eric Clapton. Mm-hmm. What other band was he in? Derek and the Dominoes. Yeah, I see I wouldn't got that. Okay, that's good, though. Layla! You'd be embarrassed, I'd be embarrassed to tell you that I was thinking Twisted Sister there for a second. Oh, that was embarrassing. <laughs> was embarrassing. <laughs> I'd encourage Mike to edit that out. <laughs> um... Layla, which he later redid on his Unplugged album. Yes. In like the late 80s, early 90s, which was, You got me on my knees, Layla. That's where he plays that beginning part, and everyone goes nuts. Right there. Mm-hmm. So, same song, just acoustic. Uh, next up, can you name this one? Come on. Maybe in the bathroom. Uh, it's not smoke on the water. Gosh, you won't get this one. You'll know it. You'll know the band name, but it's a uh, Jethro Tull Aqualung. Come on. Which, by the way, this whole seventies thing is because George Thorogood should be on this podcast later today. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we. As of right now, <laughs> as of right he's now, on. he's supposed to be on. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, next up, you'll know this one for sure. Go ahead. Yeah, Stairway to Heaven. Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. Nice show. And she's climbing. Buying, buying, buying. Hey, dude, don't <laughs> She, really? She's buying? She's buying a stairway to heaven. I thought she was climbing it. No, no, she's buying it. I thought she was like the, going up to see the J- Jolly Green Giant. Well, she's buying it oh. to go see Jack and the Beanstalk. Huh. How about that? I've been singing that wrong my whole life. Dun, dun, dun. I remember this is the five-minute intro. Mm-hmm. And we can listen to all of it. <laughs> Magic 105. Classic rock all the time. Because I bet they hated this intro. Get the lead out. It's Thursday. Led Zeppelin. Let's go. All right, here we go. Next up, can you name this one? No one yep, knows yep, yep. what it's like. Behind Blue Eyes, The Who. That's right. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man. Man, my son and I went through a whole, like, let's flash back to The Who because he didn't know anything. But he, he, I guess he heard Bob O'Reilly on some TV show. And he's like, that's a good song. I'm like, oh, give me an hour and I'm going to show you the best of the who and he loved it. You know what happened to kind of bring that song back a little bit was Limp Biscuits cover. That's right. When they did the same song. You know what? It was pretty good too. It, it was good yeah. actually. I like Limp Bizkit. Um, can you name this other one? Go. Alice Cooper, School's Out. Nice. School's summer. Out for summer. Woo! Yeah. School's Out forever. That's Days and Confused right there. Okay. This one you'll get. Go ahead. Maybe you won't get the band. Mm-hmm. I got it both. Go. Smoke on the water, deep purple. Nice. First song I learned how to play guitar. <laughs> I think for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Either first or second. Uh, Metallica. <laughs> Metallica. Uh, un, 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 uh, really? Yeah. That was my first, too. Yeah. Because you don't have to touch anything. I it's know. strings. <laughs> what song is that? It's uh, hey, un, Nothing Else Matters. Hold on. Hold on. Turn, turn it down for a second. And they call it on... No, it's nothing else matters. I don't know. Dun, ding, 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 ding. I may be thinking of a different song then. Really? What's this? Only, uh, nothing else matters. No. What do they have? That's it. Trust me. That's what everyone learned because you don't have to hit anything with your left hand on this no. or the fret hand until right here. Ding. Hmm. Do they have anything called un? And they unforgiven. The one I know is boom. Oh, that's your first one? Yeah, Yeah, that's that's unforgiven, I think. And they call us unforgiven. Don't see unforgiven. That's all right. Oh, boy. Uh, Okay, next up. You'll know this one. Go ahead. Oh, Aerosmith. Dream on? Dream on? 1973. Eminem later redid it. Man, you listen to this and it didn't even sound anything like Steve, uh, what's his name? Steve, uh... You mean... <laughs> what's his name? Steven Tyler? Steven Tyler. Yeah. It sounds nothing Good like times it. and years in the mirror. Uh, next up. Yeah, Freebird. Freebird. Well, come on, it's just the organ, dude. Doom. This, this is so good. Okay, go ahead. Next one. Oh, money. Uh-huh. Pink, Pink Floyd. Floyd. Uh-huh. Some of these are really, really cool, good, long-lasting songs. Bones, you're gonna make me go home and listen to classic rock all day today. Well, we're on the golf course till we put on. <laughs> I know, always. We we usually go like four holes, and we're like, dude, you know what's missing? Classic, classic rock. rock. <laughs> and then we put it on, and we get sad because all of a sudden Foo Fighters pops up. <laughs> we're that's like, true. no, that's true. No, <laughs> what's that doing on get there? Smash mouth off a of classic rock. <laughs> that's new. All right, name this one. Ooh, 
Fleetwood Mac? Yeah. I don't know the name of the song. Rihanna. Mm. No? Mm-mm. Okay, Rihanna. Uh, next up. <laughs> don't Fear the Reaper. I need more cowbell. Oh, hold on. Who is this? Uh... Uh, not Dire Straits. Oh my gosh, who is this? Oh my gosh, who is this? There's a color in their name. The first word is a color. Blue Oyster Cult. Nice. Yes, nice. I got there. All right, two more. Most recognized 70s songs by a few notes. Go ahead. Oh yeah, Hotel California. Yeah, the Eagles. Great. <laughs> nice. That's the guitar. Dunk, dunk. <laughs> On a dog, there's a highway. Cool wind in my hair. Uh, last one, Eddie. Come for, on. the, for the win. Barracuda. Five. Heart. Yeah. yeah! Nice job. Nice job. <laughs> Proud of myself on that. Do you guys ever talk about music on Sore Losers? Uh, nah, I mean, I try to, but they don't know anything about music. I, it's it's a it's a little uh, disheartening because like man I love music. Sometimes we say something in the podcast where I'm like that calls for this song, and then Ray's just like I don't know that song. It's like okay, forget it. Sore losers, you can listen to it. <laughs> yeah, sore losers three days a week. Uh, we talk about sports, but we also talk about just our lives. We're three dudes. It's a, it's our chance to be bros, and I love it. There you have it. Thank you, Eddie, for joining me for this. Yeah, man. Thank you. I'm talking about the '70s, which most of our listeners are like, what the f is this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. Tacovas dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. 
Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. So the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We're down here in Nashville, Tennessee with the legendary Bones and with the silly idiots. This is uh, George Thorogood with Mike and uh, Hutt and uh, my main man. I bet you had to do so many of those at radio stations. Like, hey, this is George Thorogood, and you're listening to Rock 106. You know, we, we cut a song um, by uh, Johnny Otis, Willie and the Handjive. And I made the mistake when I recorded it. It said the baby got famous in his crib, you see. And I went, doing a hand job on MTV. Now, MTV was real big then, right? So I thought that'd be a clever thing to do. EMI gets me down to L.A., gets me in the studio like here, right? And they had that song, and they want me to dub in this. when it said, doing a hand job on KLOS, doing a hand job on <laughs> WDET, WDET on WMAS. And it was about 150 of them. And I said, never want to hear that song. It backfired on me. <laughs> and I did it. You did it. Yeah, I did it. Yeah. It took me all day to do it, but I did it. Well, I feel lucky that you're here because you don't live in Nashville. Uh, you live in, do you still live in Boston? No. Where do you live now? West Coast. Okay. Good for, hey, good for you. Weather's better, huh? Hmm. Yeah, Some, most of the time? Ish? Every place has got its ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, I played the Opry probably 15 times at this point, but I also host and produce the Opry TV show. And we were kind of going through guests and they said, hey, George Thorogood's going to make his Opry debut. And I was like, I am literally the biggest George Thorogood fan. Because, and I was, what I was doing was actually telling us that, hey, you know, like, and th- they did know in the end. But I was like, you know, the Hank Sr., you know, he took, uh, you have roots in actually knowing old school country music because you kind of converted some of that to rock. And so I think that's, that's important for country music fans to know is that you actually have a respect for the old traditional country music. Well, yeah, I guess so. I, I, I never looked at Hank Williams' uh, country music at all because this was about 1969 or something when I first discovered Hank Williams. I knew the song um, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry by B.J. Thomas. He did a, like a rhythm and blues um, version of it. You may have heard it. It came out in 66. So when I got his music at the same time, uh, right of almost the same time, within a month or a couple of weeks, I can't remember, but I was turned on to Robert Johnson. And I was listening to Hank Williams one day, Robert Johnson next. I couldn't figure out which artist was greater, which one was better. And I said, it's a draw. There's, 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 but in that time, there, of course, there was, was, there was no category called country music. It just was, you know, I heard Ring of Fire on the radio, AM radio in like 1962 or whatever. So I started listening to this guy, Hank Williams, and started getting all his stuff, doing some back, background on him. And I never really thought of it like that. I just thought of it as very groovy songs, a very ingenious guy who wrote these fantastic tunes. And then later, I guess, when you got a categorized thing, I said, well, what is blues? This is the R&B charts. This is the blues charts. I said, man, I heard 
Ray Charles on the radio, and right after that, they played a Marty Robbins song. That's how far back I go. So I never knew that distinction. I just thought, because I was just a little kid, you know, I thought, well, it's just groovy songs. So, yeah, I have respect for that, but um, I've always tried to um, stay away from uh, classifying things. Like, I mean, how can you classify Dylan? How do you classify you? I know you're staying away from it, but it's like, you know, blues and rock. And then I also just looked. I was like, because, again, I could go through your catalog of songs. Mm -hmm. And also, let me say this. Every time somebody has to pick a song for me to enter a room to, it's you. Mm. Every, every time I go into it, and they're like, Let's, hey, we're going to do something new no one's ever done. Well, mm -hmm. As soon as Bobby Bones walks up, we're going to play Bad to the Bone. Every <laughs> single time. So, mm. we so every time, a little bit, I curse your name, even though I love the song. But I'm like, dang, that Bad to the Bone. They play it every time. Well, to classify me, I just make it easy. I'm an international sex symbol. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know what chart that. I don't know how to get on that chart. Yeah. But I, let me play a little clip about. I don't. It. I don't really know myself. You yeah, know. No, I, don't, I, get I, it. I, I never really. Uh, you know, when we got started, they they slotted us into blues for lack of other areas, but blues never embraced us to the beginning. It was uh, it was called underground FM music in in seventy seven, seventy eight, and seventy nine, and then that later got replaced by uh, classic rock. So, you know, we just played. We didn't think, I said, well, what category do you put Tom Waits in? You know, yeah, I, yeah, I said, you're right. You know, he's a one-of-a-kind type of artist. And I just said, well, you know, I'm not blues. Buddy Guy's blues. I'm just George with, you know, a lot of funny songs and a fast beat. And maybe we'll catch on, you know. So I'm like you. My Comedy's my main thing. <laughs> that's, that's my main gig, you know. But you also... You know, crossed over and were basically because of how popular you were, even though you never changed your style, you were a pop artist. Well, pop means popular. Right. That's my point yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean you were sonically changing yeah, anything. Michael Jackson's the king of pop, but uh, I know what you're saying. What's ever popular is pop. It doesn't matter what, what degree or level it is. You know, if that's if you're popular with 15 people or 15,000, you know, you're still, like you said, you're popular with somebody. Right. You know my favorite? Well, one of my favorites, because I was actually, I think I was maybe 11 years old, when, get a haircut and get a real job. <laughs> like, I, I was actually, like, listening to music and choosing my own music at that point. Mm -hmm. Like, that, to me, I actually, like, act, remember, and, and I felt when it come out. That was early 90s? 93. Yeah. And so, and I remember hearing that on the pop station. What do you want from me? And then it went right over, and, and almost, it went from me hearing you on the pop station, but I would also hear some of the older stuff on the classic rock station. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, my mind's blown right now. I'm hearing the same guy on the pop station and the same guy on the classic rock station. I was going to, uh, to the gym one day and I heard, who do you love on, uh, uh KLOS, which is a uh, classic rock station. Mm -hmm. So I went in, did what I did. And then I came back and I switched the, the to, um, um, K earth one Oh one, which is oldies. And they played, who do you love? <laughs> I said, well, what is it? Is it classic or is it an oldie? What, 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 which is it? You know. I want to look at my uh, playlist here. So, I mean, I can sing all these back to you. You probably don't want that. But let me start with Bad to the Bone, which I, everybody, this has become uh, a cultural song from the 80s, I, I feel like. And when I think of watching Married with Children, which I watch all the time, every time Al Bundy did something that was cool, this song came on, which meant you got paid. <laughs> Al, uh, Al Bundy was a Married with Children? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, the song they used, I think, was Born to be Bad. 
when they, he did that motorcycle thing with Lee well, Marvin. Well, different, different, yes. Yeah, they, did, they did that song, too. That happened, uh, which made me feel because Lee Marvin's one of my personal guys, you know, so that was pretty clever. Uh, one bourbon, one scotch, one beer. was, And I don't even drink, still don't drink, but still, jam of a song. I'd hear that on a classic rock radio. All right, one ginger ale, one hot chocolate, one glass of water. Nice. I mean... Shirley the, Temple, probably, but yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the thing is really... Um, like a uh, like when people would get to me and say I drink alone, I said no. I could have said I watch TV alone, I read alone, because ninety percent of the time when you're in, in your life, you are alone. All the things you do, you go to the bathroom alone, you go to the store alone. So one bourbon, one scotch, one beer, it just meant one of something. The thing was, the guy got kicked out of his house; he couldn't pay the rent, which really happened to us in Boston in '74. So the, somebody bought the building. And doubled the the, uh, the price for staying there. Doubled it, and we couldn't afford it. So we were out. And that's that's when that thing started to emerge. So Jeff and I were actually living it, the house rent thing there. So that's really the just gist of the song. It, when you, you talk about, which is a different song, I Drink Alone. But when I do an impression of you, which you, you probably don't want to hear, I blow my voice out almost immediately. I drink alone, yeah, <laughs> with nobody. But how do you keep that... Is, is that just a naturally in your voice, or do you got to push that a bit? Yeah, you do. But um, when I when I was uh, my voice changed earlier than most guys do. Most kids, their voice changes. Their voice changes when they're like fourteen, fifteen. It gets lower. Well, mine changed when I was about in the fourth grade, and my voice dropped down. So that was um, something that was kind of natural to me. So when I heard singers like Howling Wolf, um, Tom Waits, and I said. Tom just kind of, he growls the lyrics. And I said, hmm, you don't have to have a great voice. What you have to have is a distinctive voice and above all, a good song. That's number one. So yeah, part of that was natural. And part of it was I'm a Howling Wolf fan. I did a lot of time studying his voice. So, um, you know, we'd go to parties and people would take me along and say, we don't like anybody here. Let's clear the house. George, do Howling Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) I was... Looking at how rigorous you used to tour for a while, like you, what you were a hustler, and I was looking at over the years. But if I'm going to dial in on something that I want people to note was when you did 50 states in 50 days, but you also did DC. So basically, it was 51 in 50 days. Mm-hmm. But that Hawaii to Alaska trek, because that's what you did. If I'm not mistaken here, you mm-hmm. did a show in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. You flew the next day and did Alaska. Yeah. yeah. How in the how? Was that a close call to just get there to do that show, much less be exhausted? Not really. Um, our booking agent uh, spent a lot of time on it in advance. It just not, he just didn't do it a week in advance. It took months and months of planning that thing and setting it up just right. So, um, yeah, we um, we wanted to do, um, but it didn't work out, though. We wanted to do Delaware first. That's cause, where you're from. Because it's the first state. Yeah. And we wanted to do Hawaii last because it was the 50th state. But... Routing it didn't work that way. <laughs> I said, that's a nice idea, George, but forget it. <laughs> All right, when you think about people from Delaware, because the Destroyers were originally the Delaware Destroyers, if I'm not mistaken. No, they weren't. They weren't the Delaware Destroyers? No, what happened was we were the Destroyers, and we, uh, we played at a, a wedding reception. And a friend of mine, who I went to high school with, was there, and he was very excited about our band. And every time we, 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 we took a break and people were you know going to get a champagne or a... a he kept going to the mic and going, the Delaware Destroyers will be right back soon. The Delaware, <laughs> and I, So he kind of said that. 
And I just kind of stuck. You know, I said, you know, I was one time we did it after that. We were doing a, a gig in and uh, out in Boston in a park. And, and somebody said, what, who, who's playing today? He said, I don't know, some band called George Washington and the Delaware River. <laughs> I a lot of trouble with my name. I said, look, ZZ Top, that's a great name. You know, Sting, great name. You know, just simplify this thing. I've been, Adam and I have been going around about that for years. You know, I said, this is too much stuff, you know, too much stuff to say. But it gets your attention anyway. When you're doing that tour hitting, and it could be in a year, actually. It doesn't have to be the 50 and 50. But do you ever just forget where you are? You go, all right, Minnesota, what's happening? And it's like, hey, uh, George, we're actually in Kansas. Happened to me once. And once is one time too many. And I went up to the mic and said, it's great to be here in in Greenville, North Carolina, and you're in Greensboro, South Carolina. <laughs> so I get all those green, the Columbuses and the Columbias and the Greensboros and the uh-huh. Greens. I get them all mixed up. And I, and I and after I said that, I was like, I said, oh, great. It's going to be a long night. And that's the only time you ever did that? Yeah, I never did it again. That's a pretty good record. Yeah, 45 yeah. years yeah. of playing shows. You've done it one time. Right. I learned my lesson. So what, playing in clubs early on, I got to assume that the sound just isn't great isn't just a bunch of microphones pecked up to a speaker we worked at making our sound great bones we worked real hard at that we'd go we were one of the few bands that would go early we travel with our own pa and uh there were there were it was a good it was a sure pa system and it was a good one and we had uh the cabins were about this big and we located them strategically in the club like one of them at the end of the bar and one sitting here and one sitting over here we turned each of them to a certain volume like the one up here would be a little louder, and, be, and we mic'd my amp at a small amp. So we worked very hard at that. Only one place we played did did have a PA system, and it was kind of hard to to mess up our sounds. Three guys, one vocal, if you call it that. Okay, so um, no, it wasn't. Uh, you know, all all clubs are not, but our sound then we were just a small trio, so. We were ideal for those small places, so it, it fit right in. But we, we were very hard at that to make sure. I mean, you know, we didn't have a record. We weren't doing top forty. You know, I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't look like Warren Beatty. I mean, we got to be great, or you know, you got to, or to leave. You know, so we worked at every every angle we could to get the gig and hold on to the gig. When did you start noticing more people coming to shows, and why? Where you're just like, wow, like we're kind of catching on here. This is crazy to go to a place in America I've never been and see people come and be fans. Like, what had happened in your career where that, was it a little bit of radio play? Was it? Well, that helped. I mean, that's what you need. You need to get on the radio. I mean, you either, in FM radio in that time, it was, uh, they were, it was called Album Oriented Radio. It was an album they played. But we had a tune that I really was hammering my head against the wall with our record label at the time. And saying, you know, our record sat there for a long time, sitting on the shelf, like something like 18 months. And man, you did not want to know me in those days. And I was saying, you got to get this record out. You got to, Bourbon Scotch and Beer is a hit. I said, what am I going to do if the Allman Brothers cut it? What am I going to do if Jay Giles cuts it? What am I going to do if Tom Waits cuts it? I know it's, I see people, I used to play it solo without a band and people jumped for it. And they said something funny. I said, what about if somebody else records? They said, we'll just record another song. What? <laughs> Songs like that tonight, and it's still on the radio today. So, you know, you know I said, well, the, the, it's not me. It, those songs made me famous. I didn't make the songs famous. You see what I'm saying? I mean, 
I, I look at people and you'll go, you go up to them and say, hi, I'm George. And they go, yeah. And I go, bad to the bone. They go, oh, yeah. See, so most people are like that. But to be fair, you wrote bad to the bone. To be fair, <laughs> you're a sweetheart. <laughs> to be fair, okay. I mean, so, I mean, you are that. That's different than a, a song that, that if you, you covered it wonderfully, that's different. To an extent, yeah, it's very, uh, very close to, I, I, when we first put that thing together, um, we wanted to um, give it to Muddy Waters. And Muddy Waters management was not keen on that idea at all. Then I had an idea to give it to Bo Diddley, and he had, didn't have a record label at the time. And we were, um, nobody knew about the song. This was all in my mind of, to, to do this before, when we got the song done. And uh, we were uh, down in New Orleans. Um, we are on a show. That was no, stop number 44 on the 50-50 tour. Are, are you just saying that number, or do you really remember that? I do. Wow. I remember it. It's Henry Aaron's number, 44, of course. Of course. And the night before, we played in a place in Arkansas that seated 125 people. The next night, we played in a place that seated 80,000 people. You're going one to the other. The juxtaposition is wild to play for 180,000. Exactly. And then we, had to, then we had to go on after the Neville Brothers in New Orleans and go on before the Rolling Stones. And I had about 103-degree temperature. But getting back to Bear to the Bone, I was not on top of my game. And as I'm in a golf cart going up to the stage and a man comes up to me and he says, George, I hear you're writing songs. And I went, who have you been talking to? He goes, never mind. And I go, well, I'm doing that. And he said, well, if any of them are going to be like bone, you're going to do all right. And I said, do you mean bad to the bone? And he goes, yeah. And I go, how do you know about that? And he goes, it's my job to know about it. Hi, I'm David Geffen. Oh, come on. No, I'm not kidding. Come on. And yeah, we had only done it, done it in like rehearsals and sound checks. We never really got there yet, got it in the studio, but somehow he picked up on it. You know, I said, well, can't go wrong there. The rise of Bad to the Bone, as it was happening organically, did it feel like a rocket ship or was it once it actually was pressed and sent out, happened fast or happened slow? Slow. Didn't, uh, didn't really click right away. Uh, it was just, it was another song in the set. They wanted to hear bourbon, scotch, and beer. That's what they wanted to hear. And moving on over. But that one was in the show. And people were like, yeah, okay. But when Rock Classic Radio got a hold of it, boom. That's when it took off. Um, it, was, it was pretty shocking, actually, to be part of that because we were lucky that Bad of the Bone got in there on the pretty much the infancy of classic rock. And you know, the other tunes they were selecting were things like Rock and Me Baby, Steve Miller, Jumpin' Jack, Flash the Stone, Stairway to Heaven. So I was in company that I never dreamed I would even be close to anything like this. I'll give you an example. I was, uh, again, I was out doing something. I think I went to the gym or something. I came home and I turned on classic rock and they were playing the song Bourbon, Scotch, and Beer. And I said, okay, I'm listening. You know, I'm listening. I said, well, I'm just going to keep it on just to hear what the DJ says, you know, sitting in my garage. And uh, they came on and go, well, that was a black a block of Thorogood, Hendrix, and Clapton. <laughs> what? I ran into the house and immediately started practicing my guitar. I said, are you kidding me? Wait a minute, George. You better start taking your job a little more serious. Because somebody else is. You, just talking with you and talking about how radio started playing, you, you, you feel like a big transfer in your career was because of classic rock. 
picking you up and and that audience hearing it. Am I hearing that right? What's that again? Like, cl- did classic rock radio define how people listened and knew you more than anything else? Um, it it, it was it was like a step by step procedure. We got into like I say, FM album oriented, and then we got in on the bottom of uh, MTV, and then just as rock classic radio started, we got in on that. Yeah. So we were at the right place at the right time with the right song. And then it, it, things went from there to like the uh, Native American casinos, which we started working, which was opening up then. Um, and we had the right material to fit into those things. That, that, was, that wasn't planned because I didn't know there was going to be rock classic radio. I didn't know there was going to be MTV or Native American casinos hiring us. It just, it just happened that way. So we were lucky to have the material that, that fit into uh, to their format anyway. And I, classic rock radio, nobody wants to say, what, where do they play on it? Oldies. Nobody wants to hear oldies. <laughs> you know, classic rock sounds better than oldies. You know, and you go up and you see. You know, if you go up to the thing and you see somebody like, uh, oh, I don't know, Don Rickles, you don't say he's an oldies. You know, he's a classic. He's a you know a classic performer. And I dug that. You know, call it, I hope someday they don't call it old classic rock. Right? <laughs> Let's put them all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still the same music. Okay, see, here's the thing I've learned about you today. We've only been known each other a brief time. You don't give yourself enough credit at anything. You're one of the greatest. And you, first of all, you say the songs that you found made you. You said if the right place, right. I haven't heard you one time go, yeah, it's pretty cool. I got pretty good. People love me. They do. Yeah, not right. Any of them females? Uh, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've been too busy to really check that kind of thing out, Bones. You know, I'm like... Uh, you know, I'm laying out sound. I'm doing stuff. Adam's got me working. Hut's got me working. I don't really have time to sit back. Oh, they love me. They love me. You know, I'm like, after the show's over, and, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, give me give me on the bus. I got to go. How about, the, how about the Opry? Why, why the Grand Ole Opry? Why not? They sent for me. They did? Yeah. See, that's what we do with this act. We only go where we're sent for. Then they can get mad at me when Thurgood shows up. They go, this guy's too loud and too obnoxious. I said, wait a minute, you sent for me. You sent for Thurgood, you get his habits. What are you going to play at the Opry? Saturday. No, what? What songs? Because, again, you have so many. Uh-huh. And are you going to... Like, how do you decide what you're going to play in what venue? Because you don't get 30 minutes at the Opry, you know? You get a few songs. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, Do you know what you're going to play at? Well, I was thinking about A Boy Named Sue, <laughs> uh, Your Cheating Heart, uh, you know, El Paso. You See, know. I, don't, I don't think you're going to do Marty Robbins, Johnny Cash. <laughs> I don't, We're going to do a Johnny Cash song. You are? Oh, you have to, yeah. You got to do that. And now we'll do the Hank Williams thing, move it on over. And, and a solo piece on an acoustic slide guitar. I would venture to say that anyone 50 to 30, and I'm in that age group, knows you more for moving on over. Because you popularized it to a level that wasn't then because they didn't have the, uh, they didn't have the ability to get it all the places that it could once you did it. And you also did it so distinctly, right? I would say more people my age know move it on over from you and have to be taught mm-hmm. it was Hank Sr. So I'm just saying, take credit for it and act like you wrote it and then everybody will believe it and be like, yeah! <laughs> well, whatever, you know, it keeps us working. You know, I mean, our, uh, I will tell you this, and this, this, is, this is how the destroyers operate. Um, when we go into and in, in sit down and learn a song or we go into the studio or whatever, whether we write it or whatever, our MO, as you call it, or whatever, we always listen, listen to say, is this a song fa- our fans will like? 
Is this a song they'll go for? It's like somebody having a restaurant and you have a menu and you want to keep the customers coming. So you keep some of the same things on it and you keep put other ones on it. Say, we don't really, to an extent, we record to our taste, but we, we um, record or pick material that we know. I mean, we, we knew, uh, I, I drink alone, we were playing it not very good and we went and did a guest set in a, in a club and said, can we play? And we played it. We were just learning the song. We weren't even halfway through it, and the whole audience was singing it already. So we knew we had tapped into something that they wanted to hear. And that, that's the way we operate. You know, we can say, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I kind of like that song. It's, it's not about whether we like it. You know, it's got to be, you know, the people buy the records if they like it. That's, that's what we shoot for. You know, and if I could, you know, if I could write Bridge Over Troubled Water, I would have done it. <laughs> but this is, this is the best I can do, Bones. Are you still a Mets fan? Oh, yeah. Uh, see, I'm a Cubs fan, and I was, I've been a Cubs fan my whole life, before they were good. So I know what it's like to have just a sucky team. And you love them more the longer they suck, and when they win, you don't have to jump up and be like, hey, look at me, because you just feel that pride inside of you. And I know you've been a Mets. Were you sad when Shea Stadium went down? No. It's progress, you know. It's, um, see, I know I have some people that were Yankee fans, and they're disappointed every year. Because they go, the Yankees are expected to win. The Mets are expected to lose. So if they finish 500, I've had a good year. Do you miss playing ball? No. None? No. As good as you were? As good as I was. Hey, listen, you played at a high... Listen, I played in high school. I played Legion ball. I was okay. I wasn't as good as you were. Who have you been talking to? I see. I read. I look. I hear stories. Like I said, it's my job to know. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, thank you. I, uh, I was... Uh, I look good in a uniform. <laughs> Let's put it that Again, way. Again, humble, humble, humble. You're talking about baseball here, not playing slide guitar. Okay? I'm talking about baseball. Yeah, well, it's a very hard game to play. It's, you know, there's many, many aspects to the game, running, throwing, stealing, making double plays, things like that. It's, um, it's not easy. That's why softball was created, you know, so cats like me who can't cut it with baseball, we play softball. <laughs> softball is created so old guys like us get hurt again later and remember why we didn't play baseball. I, every time I play something, I get hurt now. Yeah, like basketball in the back got a hurt calf. Yeah, well, lift weights got a hurt shoulder. Well, if you, if if you if, you know, Aaron rarely got hurt. He uh, he had a long career and he, he never had any injuries. And they said, Hank, you've done really well over twenty three years, and you, you're playing big league ball, and you know you sidestepped injuries. And he said, if you know how to play, you don't get injured. <laughs> I don't, I guess I've never known how to play that. <laughs> That's me too. I've never exactly. known how to play. That's me. How's the How's the guitar playing going? Uh, I'm still getting hired. Yeah, yeah. We're 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 still, you know, the 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 the, the bat line is still hot. You know, we uh, we were just talking about that coming in today, and um, we got some things going on. So obviously, some promoters somewhere in places in the world have not uh, forgotten about us. And a lot of these things are rescheduled. You understand because of pan- pandemic, there was um, we rescheduled certain things, and then at the last minute we had to pull out again because the pandemic was not solved yet. So we've been booked for the last, beginning of the last year and a half ago. Well, we just keep moving them up each year. So I wonder they better get this, this thing together because I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, there are only a few people that I would pay money to go to a show to because I, I, I don't have to anymore, right? I, mostly I can just call somebody and be like, hey, let, but I would pay, if you were playing in town, I would pay money and I would go. I mean, that, that's, that's the respect that I have for you. Thank you. I, I'm the same way. I, uh, I, if someone says, well, let's go see somebody, I go, I got to get in the car. I got to go drive all the way there, go to the parking, 
go get the seats, go do this. Hut's got to make all these arrangements and we'll do these things to go see it. I go, well, who are you going to see? I go, McCartney, Tom Jones, The Stones, Neil Young, Dylan. And don't, don't, don't waste my time on any small fry because it's, it's expensive and it's tough to get to these things, you know. And as you get older, it gets, it gets a little harder just to get out of the bed. But if you say, I'm getting out of the bed and tonight I'm going to see Paul McCartney, that's a little different. Well, I'm going to recommend anybody listening, if whenever you get back on the road, whenever any of my friends get back on the road, but whenever you get back on the road, that if you're in town to go watch and take in a show and take in some rock history, not just you, but also the music that you bring with you from mm. before you. Because I think mm-hmm. that's very important because obviously you had your own songs, you wrote your own songs, but you paid uh, homage to the songs that got you here as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important for people to know. And I will come and watch. I'm going to end with this question for you. When in your career did you, were you playing or were you on a show or something and you look around and you go, I cannot believe I've made it this far. Like I'm looking around me right now. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a TV show, famous people, maybe it's mm-hmm. a crowd. When was that moment where you went, holy crap, I can't believe this guy from Delaware. Here I am. Every night. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. You, you can bet on that. <laughs> what was it like opening for the Stones? Well, it was kind of like, uh, you know, um, your birthday the first day off of school, summer vacation, Hanukkah, Christmas, mm. all rolled into one. It didn't ever, but every night, like night 13, you weren't like, ho-hum, time to do another show. Excuse me? Like at, when you're opening for them a few times, are you ever like, ah, it's just another show? <laughs> just another show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like people in the World Series saying, oh, it's just another game. Okay. Super Bowl. Yeah, it's just Fair another enough. game. Fair just enough. Just another game. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, let me encourage you guys to check out the Opry on Saturday night because George will be playing. Um, when he's touring, go see him. And also check out Live in Boston 1982, the complete concert. Like, that's where it is. You live, that's where it is. That's what we do. From my ears to, well, my mouth to God's ears, that's where it is. Well, that's... Well, that's kind of where we made our mark. Yeah. You know, made our mark with things. Um, and when we did those things with the Stones, so remember, um, we had a very limited time to play, and uh, we didn't have Bayhead of the Bone out yet. And Bill Graham kept hiring us on a daily basis, like a rookie who gets into the lineup and does good, so he hired him the next day. And it wasn't so much that, I mean, they're all Rolling Stones fans and Jay Giles fans. And what Graham was trying to get me, he said, yeah, but George... You grab the crowd's attention and you keep it. That's important, more important right now than having a noticeable song. These are 80,000 people. And, uh, and that he put that into my head. You know, you, I said, so with the right material, we could probably sustain this as long as possible. And that's when we started looking into saying, get a couple other tunes in there, George. Nice. You know, well, I'm glad you did. Thank you. Yes, there he is. Thank you for your time. It's rare I get to talk with a legend. Uh, <laughs> likewise. No, not no, not likewise. <laughs> George Thorogood, everybody. All right, nice job. All right, and with Jake Brennan from Disgrace Land, which is one of my favorite podcasts, and is, you know, just uh, so good every week. And that's tough, as you know, in the podcast space. Thank you, man. When yeah. you're, you're putting out a lot of content, you're hoping you hit most of the times, but... I guess Disgraceland hits for me because I love music and also love because I know a lot of artists now and they're not always what they're cracked up to be publicly. Some are better, to be honest. Sure. There are those, even in country music, like a Keith Urban, better than 
He could even be on a microphone. Mm. Or a Lionel Richie, who I work with on American Idol. Yeah. The greatest guy. However, and I won't mention them now, I don't want to get sued and they're still alive. <laughs> there are some real turds out there too. Sure. And yeah. so whenever, you know, I was, I, I li I've listened to probably almost every episode, but I went and I started looking at kind of the genesis of why you created the show. And I want to read you this. Tell me if it's still true. Because you wrote, rock stars are more like feral narcissistic animals than functioning members of society. And that's what makes them so entertaining. Yeah, I still believe that. Yeah, hundred percent. After I, doing all this, you still feel. Yeah, yeah, but I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. You know, I, I think it's kind of like what makes rock stars, like I said, so interesting. And a lot of times, uh, as you know, musicians, artists in general, but musicians, they come from these backgrounds that are incredibly challenging, and that leads directly to the types of people they are, and that leads to the type of music and art that they create. So they go hand in hand, and I think that for people like us who are sort of. Uh, involved in the entertainment industry to some respect uh this stuff isn't surprising to us but for people outside of music it's really shocking i often say it takes a really messed up person to make really messed up art which we like but it takes the same kind of person that's making that messed up art is the same person that's messed up also in like human activities exactly and that's what makes it so relatable you know what i mean and there's degrees of being messed up and there's you know, a lot of people when I launched the show thought it was going to be some sort of like gotcha type of thing where I'm I'm like coming after these artists or, and, and I'm not. I'm just telling these stories that are out there and I don't want it to get lost that I have a lot of empathy for not only the victims but for the artists themselves in some cases who are also victims. They're all incredibly different and complex uh, and there's tremendous music at the center of all this and we can't lose sight of that. I'm going to ask you some difficult open-ended questions because you've done so much and I'm just going to throw some things at you. And if you don't have an answer immediately, we can come back around to it. But okay. I, you've done all of these, these artists. Some I'd never heard of, but have now learned a lot about. Some obviously thought I knew a lot about until then. But which one of everyone you've covered did you go, they're so much worse of a person than I would have ever imagined <laughs> after diving into it? Uh, Rick James. Rick James, and uh, a real criminal-minded dude, even before he became a musician. And, uh, you know, he was, like, running drugs for the Colombian cartel. <laughs> he was just, he was just a, a, a bad dude in a lot of ways. But, you know, at his core, he just wanted to make great music and entertain people as well. So they, those things go hand-in-hand. Hand. It's a real dichotomy, and it's very interesting. So I hear the episode on Jerry Lee Lewis, which he's from near where I'm from. So I had heard the stories... But, I mean, he married his 13-year-old cousin. Yeah, you would expect it to not get worse than that. <laughs> but, of course, <laughs> his otherwise later wife, uh, she met a demise very early, and uh, that nickname, The Killer, may, be, uh, may have rung true in different ways. But what holds on longest, even after, because, again, not a good dude, and was still, you know, was probably really bruised by Elvis blowing up at the same, when he was, in his mind, and a lot of other people's mind, that guy. Yeah. But then it is Elvis, and... You know, him and he drove his car over into Elvis's fit. You know, it was a whole thing. Yeah. But still, the cousin thing lasts longer in people's minds than the, the other antics that happened later on, which were worse. It's such a shocking thing. And when it happened to him, when, the, when he married his cousin and, and the story broke, he was neck and neck with Elvis. He was huge. He was a huge star much bigger than we knew him as him as because we're younger and elvis goes off into the army so the, the lane is kind of cleared for jerry lee lewis to really break through and kind of leave elvis behind but then that story blows up and it doesn't happen so i think it was getting away with murder jerry lee lewis getting away with murder is the title of that episode yeah or something like something yeah. to that effect do you think he for sure you think do you think he got away with murder 
I think um, there's enough evidence to. <laughs> I'm gonna be careful with my words here. That's why I took that for sure. <laughs> That's why I said, do you do you do you think there is uh, reason for there to be a lot of of suspicion? I'm not a journalist. I'm not an investigator mm-hmm. at all. But I think in the public record, there is enough information out there that people can very easily come to the conclusion that, uh, like I said, the nickname, the killer, may be a little more realistic than than just a, a fun nickname. He came back in country music and had a rather robust country career mm-hmm. after he was, we'll, we'll call it canceled, uh, you know, yeah. th- their version of canceled, after he was canceled for the cousin. He came back in country music and had a pretty good career. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I mean, he not only, it wasn't like a niche career either. I mean, he, he was a household name again. He was huge. I mean, there was an NBC special devoted strictly for him, you know, but his comeback. Um, so yeah, massive household name. Also then Bobby, I mean, you know, like there was no internet. It was easier to kind of like leave things in the past. It was easier to forget about things and move on. How many second acts do we see now? We still see them even with cancel culture. So it was, um, it was a lot easier, I think, for Jerry Lee Lewis to bounce back and reinvent himself. Another episode that I really enjoyed was the, uh, Johnny Paycheck episode. Oh yeah. 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 Rough dude. Rough, very hardcore. I was thinking about this uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, so the name Johnny Paycheck comes up and a country music listener or country music fan will be like, oh yeah, great, great singer, great songwriter, you know, hardcore guy, outlaw. You know what I mean? Anyone else, the name would come up and you'd be like, if it wasn't a musician, you'd be like, that guy shot a dude in the head. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the claim to fame. But it, it it's not for some reason. You know, it's like, when you're a musician, I guess shooting a guy in the head is not the craziest thing you could do and be known for. His story is in Ohio, a bar in Ohio. Is that where that happened? Yeah, he was going home to see his mom for Christmas, and he stopped off at a bar. Um, and he was going to Hawaii, Ohio. I think it was in Ohio where he stopped off. And he goes into the bar, and he's, and he's drinking alone. And these two locals recognize him as being a local guy, and they they start they start to mess with him. They get they get like they're basically like making fun of him, you know, for being the celebrity that he is, you know, big time. In Boston, we call it. You think you're better than us, like that type of thing, you know. And uh, he just got ticked off. He pulled his gun, and he and one of the guy ran. One of the guy ran away, and he shot him before he got out the door, and the bullet grazed his head. And uh, the guy lived, but you know pretty bad and uh johnny ended up going to jail for it you know one of the sad parts that uh really sad parts that episode was at the end he kind of when he died broken pretty much alone yeah yeah which is is sad man you know a lot of times we envy these artists we think they have these musicians especially we think they have these very full fulfilling lives um but you know fame and celebrity can be it can be super lonely, and I think for some of these guys who live way off the rails and way outside the guardrails of society, you know, there was no one there for Johnny at the end when he died, despite the uh, pretty amazing massive funeral and party that they threw for him. Your background, if I'm if I'm still, you were in a band, are still in a band? Not a, no, no longer in a band. I'll never be in a band again. <laughs> so so, but you you have a music background, right? Yeah yeah, I was I've been in bands my whole life. I came up in the punk and hardcore scene in New England. Um, played in bands, um, made a very modest living around the margins, and then started the podcast, and this kind of became my life about three years ago. Are you doing well now? Because I see you everywhere, it seems like. Yeah, the podcast has been great. We've, we've, you know, we've, we've grown this massive audience, and it's led to a lot of opportunity. I was able to uh, get a book deal and write a book, and that's done very well. And now I'm producing podcasts with other producers as well as other ones that I host and executive produce. So it's kind of, it's, it's 
become this little career for me that I never expected to happen. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't know what a podcast was. And now here we are. Are you telling people listening that they can support themselves and pay bills if they get a, a successful podcast? I am definitely telling Isn't them that. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's nuts. I'm very grateful, man. Very it's, grateful. You've moved over to just <laughs> Amazon now. Disgraceland is available exclusively on um, on Amazon Music, and it's free. You can get it over there. Um, but we have other shows. We just Rolling Stone magazine announced our new franchise today. It's called Badlands, which is basically Disgraceland for everything but music. So season one is called Hollywoodland. So it is what it sounds like. It's all actors and actresses. Season two is Sportsland. That'll be available widely everywhere you can get podcasts for free. I host a number of other shows as well. The 27 Club, which is available on iHeartRadio app. Everywhere podcasts are available. Same with Dead and Gone, a show I teamed up with Payne Lindsay from Up and Vanish to do. So we have a lot going on. Disgraceland is exclusive. Amazon Music is growing rapidly in the podcast space. There's You can basically hear all of your favorite podcasts over there. That 27 Club series, do you think there was actually something to it or just a, a wild coincidence? That, wild coincidence. Right. You know, but it, it, you know, made a cool lane for me to create a podcast series. <laughs> Season three actually launches tomorrow on uh, Janis Joplin of the 27 Club. The Janis Joplin, and I haven't heard that one, but I, I do know a lot about Janis Joplin and that she, she didn't have a hit till she's dead. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That's nuts. I mean, she was a thing. People knew of her right, but clearly. Not, but not as, she wasn't right. a, a song on the, you turn the radio on, right. you know, somewhere in Florida and also in, in Connecticut. Yeah. Like that was after she died. Yeah. Yeah, the first album didn't do so great. A lot of people didn't like that band. They didn't like Big Brother and the Holding Company. It wasn't until it wasn't until the band who was on that that uh, later record that came out after she died that people really started to give her the credit that she deserved. I'm a big '90s fan, obviously, because I was born in the '80s. So the '90s is what I consumed mm. in my growing years. Yeah, yeah, me too. And so you know, some of the stuff in the '90s, uh, Tupac. Mm. You know, I know there's a whole. I listened to you talk about Tupac and Biggie. Any chance? <laughs> that Tupac lived past that shooting. No I'm chance. not even saying he's alive right now, but any chance he lived past the shooting? Well, he lived for a couple of days before he died, but he, he, no, no, no way, no way. I mean, I get why, why the ground has been softened for this conspiracy theory that he's still alive. I mean, he talked about his death. He certainly had reason enough to sort of fake his death. His life arguably could have been uh, less complicated if he kind of like disappeared and went had a life somewhere else besides, you know, under the, the uh, protection of Suge Knight in, in the death row world that he was in. But no, there's, there's no way he's living on an island in Belize or, or anything like that. I don't I mean, believe it. Him talking about his death is a bit like Andy Kaufman, where everyone wants to believe Andy Kaufman is still alive because he always said he'd fool everybody by coming back, you know, 10, 20, 30 years after he died. Yeah, now that, now that I would believe. <laughs> well, I... Well, but I don't. You don't believe Andy Kaufman's alive, do you? I think Andy Kaufman is Donald Trump, and I think this whole this whole the whole last eight four years. I mean, wouldn't that be the greatest? <laughs> if he pu- he pulls off the wig and's like, "Gotcha." Would you? I'd believe anything in two thousand twenty. Yeah. you know anything. If Biggie's music came out now, and I've said this for ten years, do you think it would still be new sounding? That's a really interesting question because no nobody sounds like Biggie. Nobody sounds like Biggie. He did. He did that kind of like cool reverse peanut butter and chocolate thing, where he he took that that West Coast sound and, and put his East Coast thing on it. And I don't know. I mean, hip hop now just sounds so different that I, I have no idea what it, how it would be received right now. That's what, that's an interesting question. What about Juice World? Uh, what about Juice? Tell World? me about. I don't know. Tell me about the guy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. I'm the wrong guy to ask. It, I mean, he, are you going to cover a Juice World? Because again, he just died. The the more modern artists are tricky for a bunch of reasons. Um, 
uh, especially when people, the story isn't entirely told yet. And like I said, I'm not a journalist. I'm, I'm going after stories that are out there in the public eye that are, that are, um, safe, so to speak, that can be told. Um, and a lot of times you get away for these stories to completely be finished. I just did an episode on Lil Wayne. It's not out yet, but it was written and I had to rewrite it twice because the guy's still active and he's still out there and there's still things happening to him. Um, so, you know, possibly on Juice World, but it won't be for a minute. Didn't you do an episode on, what's the guy's name? Tenacion? XX Tenacion. Yeah, yeah. Tentacion. Yeah, XXS Tentacion. It's a tough one. You did an episode on him, right? I did, yeah, about a year and a half after he died. Um, yeah, that, that story was, uh, I mean, that's a brutal guy. I mean, he was a violent guy. He did a lot of nasty things. Um, and But that murder was vicious. And, you know, there's a guy who was really young. And I think we see this a lot. You know, a lot of people, just, they just cannot handle celebrity. They're not equipped to handle it. And whatever demons they have and whatever bad behavior they have inside them and wh- whatever, uh, you know, lack of humanity they have, it, the, the spotlight brings it out. And uh, that's definitely what happened to that dude. If Kurt Cobain would not have died, do you think Nirvana would have had the cultural impact lasting cultural impact that it has yes you do i do yeah for sure i mean they had it at the time they were huge i mean and they broke that door open they broke the dam for every for all the whole grunge thing that came after nirvana came first and it wasn't one of those things where nirvana was just like you know they had the right single and they had the right music industry apparatus behind them i mean kurt cobain obviously was a true artist and I don't know that Kurt Cobain would have would have hung around in Nirvana for that much longer. I mean, I know they would have done another record. They were talking to Scott Litt, the producer, about doing some, their next record. Um, but I don't know if he would have stayed in that band or that band would have hung on. Or if Dave Grohl, frankly, would have wanted to sort of sit behind a drum kit for the next 10 years of his life. Have you ever met Dave Grohl? I have not, no. Okay. And I've been in the room but never actually had a conversation with him. Mm. He does such a good job at talking about Nirvana. But I got to think somewhere he's like, Am I ever going to stop talking about Nirvana? Because he has created one of the biggest American rock groups of all time, yet he still will always be second fiddle to the band he played drums in. Yeah, I know. It's bizarre, man. And I'm sure he's, I'm sure there are, there's quantifiable evidence out there that the Foo Fighters are actually more successful than Nirvana in in different ways. Sort of like Jacob Dylan has like a, 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 the, the, a better selling album than Bob Dylan does, which is shocking. But um, I think Dave Grohl figured out a long time ago how to play the game so that it's not really playing him. And it's all this like magical defense mechanism that he has. But I'm sure he, at the end of the day, he sits back and he's like, God damn it. <laughs> right? And he does. He handles it so gracefully. He answers the questions and then gets on to himself. Yeah. And you know, everybody wants to ask him about it. Yeah. The longer you're away from it, I mean, you know, Cobain died at what, 93, 94? 94, yeah. Yeah. The longer we're away from it, like a cooler part of history it is that the drummer is sitting next to you. Even though, again, in the past 30, 40 years, on the Mount Rushmore of American rock groups, Foo Fighters. So. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. And they're still still incredibly relevant today, which is not an easy thing to do. I was in a record store down in Florida last week, and that their big display was the Foo Fighters' new record. Nice. That just nice. came out. I yeah, mean, it, they're playing, uh, they're headlining Bonnaroo, right? Yeah, they sure are. Crazy. If TMZ were a thing back in the 50s or 60s, Oof. right, <laughs> it, like who wouldn't have lasted? I don't know. That's a really interesting question. The thing, the thing we don't, you know, when we look back, we always kind of measure it against today's standards. And one of the things we forget is that the music industry and society were wildly different back then. It was so much looser. You know, the music industry was like, I mean, think about it from the record executive's perspective. They're doing everything they can to try and wrangle these 
you know, narcissistic feral animals to keep creating music so that they can keep bringing in the cash. But so the, I don't want to say they were encouraging this. In some cases they were, uh, but there, it was free reign and, and the industry is being built up at the same time. Like there, there wasn't this existing apparatus like there is now. So, I mean, there was so much going on. I think it was way more depraved than we can even begin to think. You know, the stories we hear, I think, are the tip of the iceberg. And more than the 50s and 60s, 70s and 80s, and when the Van Halens. And yeah, still the, crazy. Just nuts. Even the stories <laughs> they share now in their books, in their interviews, probably are just the tip of the iceberg on what really happened because they know if they shared it all. Right. They'd probably cancel now with even sharing their history. Right. Exactly. I mean, I've heard things from people that's you know not not corroborated. It's secondhand, and it's it's so far off the mark. And and now, it, I mean, outside the outside the bounds, so far outside the bounds of of society. Now, and now that I'm I'm doing this series Hollywood Land, we're looking at uh, stories on actors and actresses. In some cases, that go back to the 1930s. And the further back you go, the bigger the stories become the more crazy they become because time has, has gone on and, and, and these stories are, are able to be more easily shared. And I think we'll get that the further we get away from the, those pioneering days of rock and roll as well. Of all the country artists that you've researched, who did you feel was least like what they portrayed on stage or publicly? Least like, well, you know, it's, this is a boring answer, but it's it's a good one to me and it's an honest one I, I think johnny cash because he was he went through so much during his career you know in in the 50s and 60s before he settled down with june carter he's just a he's a he's a walking disaster he's a time bomb you know he's caught smuggling drugs across the border he's caught for burning down a a a, a uh, protected far forest on government property all these things happen to the guy um but at the same time he goes on and he becomes this real champion for the underdog and this this empathetic spirit and you know i think he was kind of the opposite of the question you posed he was on stage who he was off stage and all those country guys i mean johnny paycheck was the same way uh graham parsons the same same exact uh way but in a different way because he was you know a little more soft but yeah, the country guys kind of live it a little more authentically, I think. The chicks, the formerly known as the Dixie Chicks, still, oddly, in my opinion, aren't forgiven by a lot of the public that is in the country music world, which is weird because... Those You're talking the, about the George Bush thing? Yes, and, and yes. So they haven't been forgiven for that... What, two, I don't know, what is that? 2000... 2002? Yeah. yeah, around that time. And I was talking about this on the air because the people that's screaming... Let's cancel cancel culture are the ones still holding it against the Dixie Chicks mm. for what they did that wasn't a crime, wasn't morally wrong. They just had an opinion right. at a time where that opinion was a bit sensitive. Like, What is your take on why people can't get over that? I don't understand that at all. I mean, maybe people just want, to, just want something to complain about. I mean, people's opinions in real life, real people's opinions especially on politics, change all the time. You know, people don't wear the same team colors their entire lives. And who knows if they even feel that way now. I'm sure they've, they, they don't. I'm sure they've, they've come up. I mean, I don't know if they defended themselves. I don't know much about the Dixie Chicks. But, I, you know, I think as uh, Americans and fellow humans, we could all deal with a little more uh, empathy and humility and this, this country be a much better place. I listen to your podcast and you can tell you spend a lot of time 
writing it, recording it. But what if, what goes into this? Like you sit down, blank screen, and go, "All right, we're gonna." No, 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 no. <laughs> it's um, I, it's I do a week of research at a minimum, and then I write for I write an episode in a week. And you know, now we've got I've got ten guys, ten people working for me at once, where we're we're constantly uh, the music is being worked on. It's it's a real process. But my process is I write for a week. And, you know, I, re- I record it and then it goes, uh, you know, I, I quote unquote score it. I, you know, I'm not a composer, but I indicate where and what kinds of music I want it and where I want it to be. It goes off, the musicians put it together and uh, it gets mixed and then it comes out. And it's something that is, you know, it's a, it's a big production cycle that is constantly in motion. But what's the production cycle, you know, back when you started episode one versus now where there's... I mean, you've got a real beast on your hands here that you've got to maintain. When you yeah. started it by yourself and you're, you know, I can't play the song right now. I'm just going to yeah. hit it. I imagine you're doing most of that by yourself at the very beginning. Yeah, I did everything by myself in the beginning. And the first episode took six months to put together. Wow. Yeah. Why yeah. six months? Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a process. There was a lot of trial and error. I had to figure it out. You know, I had to go through like three different versions of what I thought the music was going to be. Um, ultimately, ultimately, everything I tried doing collaboratively with people, I ultimately ended up being like, this isn't working, I'm doing it myself. And that's the opposite of how I've done everything in my life. I've been, I've been a very collaborative, creative person my whole life from being in bands, even though I was the leader of those bands or, or the singer or songwriter. Um, but you know, when it came to this, I don't know, I think instinctively and deep down I was getting older and I, and I knew this was probably like the last thing I was going to try and do before I had to get like a quote unquote real job. And um, relying on people didn't seem like a good option. So I just started to just break things off and do it all myself. All the research, all the writing, all the music, all the production. Uh, pretty early on in that first year, or later on in that first year, I brought in an uh, engineer who's still with me, this guy, Sean Cahalan, who's worked on every single episode to kind of do some of the nitty-gritty work, cleaning vocal, editing files, all that stuff that takes hours that, you know, if you're doing that, you're not researching and writing. And he was the first one I brought on, and it was just he and I for about a year. Then iHeart came into the picture. We, uh, we, we started working with iHeart. I brought a couple more folks on to help with music, to help with mixing. And you know, now I've got a team of, I think we're at, we're almost at, uh, we'll be at 12 people by the end of this year of writers, uh, producers, engineers. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, thank I you. I mean, that's really cool to see you turn the beginning. When I, I mean, I listened to episode one. Yeah. Thank you. It's like I can't play the song, so I'm gonna play a little Casio keyboard here. <laughs> so it's you know, it's not just disgraceland now. It's you know, all it, you've turned it into so many things. And then when I see stories, for example, uh, Pete Davidson, who's gonna play Joey Ramone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, well, what do you think about this? Yeah, I love it actually. I think that's great. I think he's gonna kill it. I'm rooting for him. You know, he's gonna get killed. I mean, the Ramones fans are gonna be all over him, but I, I think he's a New York guy. I think he'll know how important it is to, to get that role right, and I think he'll do a good job. I listened to the episode on Joey Ramone. And I think it was Joey and Johnny. Yes. Yeah. And what did you learn about the Ramones that you didn't already know? You know, I actually met the Ramones when I was 10 years old. My dad's band opened up for them. Um, and I remember, you know, I didn't know who they were. And I remember my dad telling me, uh, he brought me because he knew how important it was. You know, and he was like, uh, you're going to meet these guys or you're going to see these guys play. He goes, you're going to love them. They're like the Beach Boys, but they're really loud. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all these years later, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't even really remember meeting them, but I remember them being around and they were these big, tall, c- clad in black, mysterious figures. 
Um, and they kind of blew my blew my mind. I went back to my neighborhood, started telling everyone I knew about it, and all of a sudden these punk rock kids are like kicking my ass because I thought I was lying about it. It's like total, total life changing, changing thing. Um, but even even with that experience and growing up being a fan of that band, I didn't realize truly how much uh, Johnny Ramone and Joey Ramone hated each other and just how dysfunctional the band was and how sad of a story it is. It's really sad. You talk about family hating each other. Uh, Oasis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are they ever? I think so. I think, they'll, I think they'll get it together. I don't even know how much of that is. I mean, I know it's true, but I feel like for each of them, there's a part of them that knows that it's, it's for the cameras, it's for Twitter, it's for whatever, and I think eventually they're going to end up back together. Did you do an episode on Oasis, or is one coming soon? Did I yeah. see one of those? I just released a two-parter, two-parter on Oasis uh, these past few weeks. Yeah. Okay, so what, what about Oasis do you think most people don't know? Because I, I was a big fan when they put out What's the Story mm-hmm. for about three records, and then mm-hmm. I just got tired of the shenanigans, Yeah, and I stopped, Yeah, and I watched a documentary, yeah. and that's about it. Yeah. You know, I'll go back and listen and, and enjoy, you know, some of the stuff from when I was 12. Those first two records are still incredible, though. Yeah. I mean, they're incredible. Um, I, I didn't know just how hard they lived it, you know? I didn't know, especially Liam. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, I, I didn't really look into it as much before I had to write the episode on him. And the, the one story I love that's in, <laughs> that's in there is this is later in Oasis's career. Like, I think in the early 2000s, uh, there was some dust up at a hotel in Germany and uh, Liam gets gets knocked out by the cop and and pulled into the station, and he wakes up and his two front teeth are missing. And uh, the cops explain to him that yeah, he fell when he was passed out on the stairs, and they got bashed in. And of course, he's a smart guy, and he's like, well, if they got bashed in, they'd be bashed in, and they're they're like clean out, you know, like they they were like yanked out with like the cops wanted to get back at him, they yanked him out with pliers. <laughs> That's brutal. That is brutal. And also for him to think about that right then, because you're right. I think I would just accepted it. Yeah, I'm not even teeth out falling on my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're just clean out of his head. They were so big, especially at home. I mean, they were the second coming. They were they were almost Beatles. They were the Beatles and the Sex Pistols. That's how I describe them. They were as far as, as far as the UK was concerned. I mean, they were they were like they were everything. They had the attitude and they had the songs. It's a shame they didn't keep it going. It's a shame they didn't get we didn't get ten records out of them. Well, in the states too, their hits were mostly acousticy or feel good, bright songs. Mm. So we, I didn't know how dark it, they were until I got older and could actually learn or cared to learn more about them. Yeah, they were hooligans, straight up violent soccer hooligans. It's the best. <laughs> uh, I, I think I saw a picture of you and Conan O'Brien together. Yeah, yeah, that was wild. I met him at this thing. Uh, it was funny. <laughs> I was. You know those things you got to do for podcasts. You got to go out on stage. You got to talk about it. And there's a bunch of advertisers in the room, and and we were at one of those things. And uh, I was waiting in the lobby to be let in, and I noticed Conan O'Brien walk in, and uh, he kind of looks at me, and uh, you know I look back at him, and then uh, someone says to me, "We're talking." He goes, they're, "They're like, hey, Conan O'Brien is like staring at you, like like with evil eyes." I'm like, "What?" And I turn around. He's like daggers at me and we're both kind of wearing the exact same thing i noticed we both have on like jean jackets you know pompadours jean pants i'm like he's probably pissed that i'm (laughs) I'm dressed like him you know and then i walk up and he's on now he's on stage i'm waiting in the hallway and he's coming off stage and uh i i see this woman leading him right to me 
and uh, he he gets close enough, and he goes, "Is this him?" And he points at. I hear him say, that. "I'm like, what the hell is going <laughs> on?" And I love Conan. You know, I'm from Boston, so I'm like, you know, I'm a little freaked out. And he comes up, he's like, "I love your podcast," and he tells me that uh, he's like, you know, I had to go home the other night, and I drove around for an extra hour so I could finish listening to the Brian Jones episode. I was like, oh man, you don't know what that means. <laughs> like, that yeah, that's got to be so crazy, much. huh? He was so cool. He was so cool. And Aaron Mankey from Laura, that he does his podcast. Laura, this guy, I know he was standing next to me. He was, he was, he was smart enough to be like, hey, let me get a picture. And he got a picture of the two of us, which was cool. Always good to have those friends that can also step in and make, it, uh, in my case, maybe not like a dweeb, like when I'm with somebody cool. Yeah. Because I want to be like, hey, man, can you mind if I get a picture with you? Yeah, yeah. Because it's always, <laughs> then you're not as cool as they are. Right, exactly. But, exactly. but if someone goes, hey, this would be really cool for both of you guys. Let me get that picture. Yes. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. man, I guess. Then, like, you're, then you're on their level. Then, yes, then it all stays the same. <laughs> I wish it was like the 70s or 80s where everything was candids. You see those great pictures of like Jack Nicholson at Joan Didion's house just hanging out, having a conversation with Mick Jagger. And you're like, you know, that's the stuff that I want on my walls. Yeah. But that's never going to happen. We're in a different world now. You know? Mine are all me taking a selfie of me with somebody famous behind me. I'm like, look, <laughs> I know. They're behind me. Uh, you did an episode on Joe Exotic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a joke. That was right when we hit the pandemic and I was looking for ways to just stay as connected as possible with people, with the listeners, and I wanted to do them a solid. And that was in the middle of that whole thing. And I was like, hey, man, can I do an episode in three days on this thing that we're all watching right now? Because I heard he was an actual singer, you know? And then I knew the story about how he kind of like, you know, he's singing in in that series, but he's lip syncing someone else's songs. It's kind of a Milli Vanilli thing. So I was like, I can use that as the kind of crime. It was all very tongue in cheek. And I put it out. I had friends emailing me. They're like, hey, you know he wasn't a real singer. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's a joke. <laughs> Did you learn anything, though, about him that we didn't see on the show? Because I, like you, watched every episode. Everything. I, I, he got in this bad car crash. You know, he was sort of, you know, he was, you know, he growing up in the South and homosexual and how to keep all that down. And that contributed to who he became and how he, he lived his life. But there wasn't much more out there besides what was in the show. What's the story about Disgraceland, the name, why you named the podcast that? Oh, that's, uh, that's Jerry Lee Lewis all the way. I, once I read that, like, you know, in researching that first episode, I knew I was going to do the podcast. I knew I needed a name. I had no idea what it was going to be. And I read that the locals in Nesbitt called Jerry Lee's place Disgraceland, uh, you know, in juxtaposition to Elvis's Graceland because they were, you know, two different people, obviously one dark, one light. So I was like, oh, that's it. That's my show title. Has anyone from any of the artists camps or families reached out to you and been pissed about what they heard no one's been pissed i've heard good stuff i mean i've heard i've heard from people's families um family members i've heard from cops who were involved in some of this really? stuff. yeah i heard from a cop who was involved with the uh, the la riots when i did the nwa episode uh that meant a lot to me that was he gave me some good feedback i heard from um I heard from this dude. You remember that show, Welcome Back, Cotter? Yeah, of course. It's the guy who, who uh, <laughs> created that show. Was at the table with John Lennon and Pam Greer with that dust up at the Troubadour in L.A. That was in my John Lennon episode. He got in touch right away. He was like, "You nailed it. That's exactly what happened." I was like, "Really? Okay, cool." <laughs> uh, coolest fan of the show? Uh, coolest. Other than Conan, let's remove Conan of the show. But a similar thing where you're like, dang, it's pretty cool they listen to this. Um, I don't know if he's a, if he would call himself a fan, but I got to spend some time with Elton John because uh, it was brought up to him that I interview him when he, when he was doing this tour for his uh, for Rocket Man, and the fact that he had already heard of the show and knew of the show, a mutual friend had been at his house and played it for him, played him actually the John Lennon episode. The fact that he had that awareness of Disgraceland allowed the interview to happen, which was wild. That is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, again, there are only so many living legends we've had this debate on on this podcast and my radio show 
where it's like, who is the living legend? And Elton John's definitely one of them. We I got know. we got a little iffy on Coldplay. Yeah, no. You say no? Okay. <laughs> um, but El- my, my greatest Elton John story is I, I was sitting at a charity dinner. And I like to tell this story because how often do you tell a story with you and Elton John, right? Yeah. Like you said, it was just cool to be able to be in the same room. But right. we're sitting literally right beside each other. He, they just had their kid. Oh, so, yeah. he, so he had an iPad. And he had pictures of his baby. And he was showing me pictures of the baby. And he was like, look at And he was going to go up and play. Um, one of my friends is professional tennis player, Andy Roddick. used to be a professional mm. tennis player. But Elton John was playing his benefit. And I was hosting it. And so we're sitting at this table. And he's showing me pictures. And it's being, uh, I would say, a little flirtatious at the same mm. time. But mm-hmm. hey, it's Elton John. Whatever. Let's go. <laughs> and so... We're having a good time. I can't believe I'm hanging out with Elton John. We're talking. And he goes up and he plays probably 10 songs or so. And he's got a little prompter. He has so many songs. He reads the lyrics. Can't chase all the high notes like he used to. But it's probably 70% there. But the whole crowd's loving it. And about the last four songs, he stands up and acts like he's done. Everybody gives him a little standing go. And he sits back down and does another song. Well, the final song, I think he played Circle Alive for, I don't know what song it was. It doesn't matter. But let's just act like it's Circle of Life. So he had Circle of Life. He walks off stage, grabs me by my head, kisses me right on the mouth. Oh my and God. And then keeps walking. And, I, and everybody looked at me to see what I was going to do. I was like, yeah, baby. That's awesome. That's my Elton John story. It was amazing. Uh, that's amazing. Yes. yes. That's fantastic. That's great. So you're expanding like crazy. List me off again the shows that I got to go check out now. I, I listened to Disgraceland. What else you got? Uh, 27 Club Season 3 launches tomorrow with Janis Joplin. We have two previous previous seasons on um, Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix. And then we've got Badlands, which is this new franchise delving into Hollywood and sports. But it's basically Disgraceland, just in these other cultural subject matters. And I've got a show on The Grateful Dead called Dead and Gone that I do. It's an investigative show that I do with Payne Lindsay, who's an investigative podcast, true crime, about all these missing and dead deadheads. Um what else? What's happening with that? It's crazy. It's wild. Is it just a culture? And in that culture, there are just yes. a bunch of weirdos and then there happen to be a few murderers? Yes. Dire wolves. It's basically, I mean, look, <laughs> you live that far off the grid as a deadhead. There's some wild stuff that's going to happen. And that's what happened. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's followed the Grateful Dead their whole career. And it, it, what makes it so interesting is that the Grateful Dead is obviously, you know, they're not a violent band. I mean, the whole ethos of the dead is is the complete opposite to mayhem and murder. But it's there. It's embedded into the into the culture in these, uh, in these little sporadic moments. And the stories are pretty fascinating. Okay. And uh, did you say Hollywoodland? Hollywoodland. Yep. Launches May 5th. Okay. And, and listen, he shows up. He brings me four $30 scratch-offs. Yeah. There you go. Like... When he pulls off in a fancy car for $30 scratch-offs, you know life is pretty good for Jake. <laughs> That's how you know. But listen, uh, we met years ago in L.A. at the first ever iHeart Podcast Awards. Yes. And I felt guilty because I won the award and didn't deserve it. And I, I remember telling you that I don't deserve this award. Your podcast is the best one here. Oh, man, I don't know about that. No, it's you, true. You're I, doing great things. You have, ins- you have inspired me in a gazillion different ways. You're doing so much. You are hustling. You have an amazing spirit and a lot of hope at the core of everything you do. And I think right now that's what we need. And I just want you to know from day one, from, my, from when I first got hip to what you were doing, I was like, this guy's the real deal. And we need more people like you. It's inspiring. I appreciate that. I, and you look just like me. Yeah. It's like a mirror. He's wearing the same glasses. It's the same. <laughs> yeah, but I looked like you first. So That's yeah, true. I'm that's older. Just barely, though. <laughs> what, so what are you doing in town? Why are you in Nashville? I uh, had to do some TV stuff, and then I'm um, headed to Memphis uh, right now, actually, right after this. I hop in the car, head to Memphis, meet up with, with a friend, and we're doing some research, and then I go back to be with my family in Florida for a couple of days. Is it Elvis research? 
I can't say, but yes. You think any chance Elvis lived past the, the toilet? Uh, yes. You do? Not in any real way, but I, I, I'm going to play with that a little bit. I'm going to mess with that. Any chance the misspelling on his grave was on purpose? I don't know. That's shocking, though, isn't it? Yeah. That's crazy. How does that not get through? I mean, that does somebody is, not uh, catch that? Yeah, that's nuts. I don't know. Unless they're just dicking with them on purpose. The 70s, man. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> you, well, do you think Elvis, at his core, was a good person? I think at his core, he was a good person, for sure. But I also think there's a lot that went on with Elvis that challenges the narrative and the myth that uh, people think is, is false, that was pretty wild and pretty out there. And, um, yeah, I think he had his demons. And, you know, I mean, dude, he was the most famous person on the planet for a very long time and living in this insane bubble. And the pressure of all that uh, is something that we could never realize. And I think it came out in violent ways that, that we haven't really heard the full story on. Um, you know, he was, he was obsessed with guns. He was, you know, he, he had tricky relationships with women. Obviously, the food thing. I mean, just nuts. I am a big fan. I appreciate you coming by. You guys can follow Disgraceland Pod. That's what I follow. Are there other podcasting, uh, other accounts you want to? Yeah, you can follow uh, at Disgraceland Pod on Instagram, Twitter. uh, We're on Facebook. And then, of course, all the other shows I do, I do for my production company called Double Elvis. That's just at Double Elvis. You can find that everywhere as well. And you can hear Disgraceland on the Amazon Music uh, app. That's Amazon.com slash Disgraceland. Well, big fan of what you do. And if I win on one of these scratch-offs, I'm not going to say it was one of these scratch-offs, so you don't claim it. (laughs) That'll be its own episode 30 years later. I had to end up killing you because you came for money. Then I was like, no, I wasn't it. Uh, Jay, good to see you, bud. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, Gangster Rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.